All right, buddy. Day two of the Sean, Mark, Steve Nash press conference. Hit us with the beats. Juicy. Let's get into the player conversations. LMA, his return to the NBA. We also get in on some of the bigs, how they want to utilize positionless basketball under Steve Nash, the versatility of a Kevin Durant, the excitement around a Patty Mills, and the questions surrounding the young Nicholas Claxton. It's all here, a buffet of player conversation. And before that, you know what's coming. The theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I'm Adam Arnbrecht, obviously the host of the Brooklyn Nets podcast here, but also covering the New York Football Giants on the One Giant podcast, just really a tri-state area of information around the sports. And over there in the shiny, crisp new hat is Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports needs. NFL, NBA, MLB wrapping up right now. If you want it and you need it for daily fantasy, he's your guy on DFSR. How are we, sir, on a Thursday? As we break down this, the second leg of the press conference, because it was too much, too juicy to cover all in one shot. Well, first of all, you want to see a real, a real couple of pros do it on camera. Go and head over and subscribe to YouTube <laughs> because you'll see how Adam and I, we basically recorded this. Here's the deal. We recorded a couple podcasts in a row because we responded to the whole, uh, responding to the whole uh, press press conference, but it was just was going to bleed over into too many, too long. So we ended up chopping the two. But then we ended up like sort of doing a quick uniform change during during that time too, to because want to make sure. I'm only saying this because you can just go over to our subscribe to our YouTube channel as you see as we begin to make our way into video and then all the little intricacies that go with video because you forget like oh now it's gonna look weird because we are wearing two two different shirts and vain enough to vain enough to change outfits but not smart enough to to, to account for how things were gonna look on the back end <laughs> listen that's how we that's how we like to roll but the bottom right, and look, also two though, dudes that didn't have, willing enough to peel back a, the curtain Two dudes that didn't have a problem getting on camera and instilling everyone with a bunch of confidence was uh, Sean Marks and Steve Nash. You heard, I hope you heard us talk about it in the podcast yesterday. We started breaking down what these two guys talked about in the first presser of the year. Really from a high level is what we focused on yesterday in terms of, hey, you know, this is these are the aspirations. We're not getting over our ski. I'm paraphrasing over our skis too much in, in terms of you know you know what we expect. But the expectation is that we're going to win a championship this year. We talked a little about the seeding and how it's pretty clear that they're not all that interested in seeding. It's probably not going to matter all that much for them anyway. But the uh, but they did talk about some specific players here, which I thought was interesting. Not the whole. They did not talk about every guy. It was the the, the presser was not a, a whole day's worth of things. There was not and not every and some of it goes down to who what questions are asked from different reporters a lot of the the local beat was there asking questions so sometimes these things go the direction of whatever you know the local guys or gals want to ask and so you don't get everybody but is there someone that stood out to you as being interesting about some of the responses some are just you know run-of-the-mill um boilerplate kind of answers but they did get into it a couple of these guys <laughs> before we do quickly do you think that there's ever questions that like so sean marks and steve actually go god i hope they don't ask us about x and then it doesn't come up they're like oh my god we totally oh, dodged the bullet god. they didn't even bother yeah. they didn't even come close to it like they were all over the place but never sniffed out that one or nash was like man i haven't i don't know a single thing about Daron sharp like, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> He's like, so I hope they don't ask oh, because God, do I, that was going to be me about Gray. Do not ask me about Gray. Please, I'm not even please, sure please, I please. please. I didn't watch any summer league. I didn't watch any summer league. <laughs> no. But uh, that, that being the case, I'm sure they're very well versed on their entire team. Uh, we head over to uh, Ear to the Tweets, as I decided to call this segment, where, um, you know, the first one off the top was just, and this really goes back to yesterday's one around Bruce Beck talking about they, they, they expect to be the last team standing. That's just the indication of we want to win the championship. But then beyond that, when we get into the players, this is, I think, the first and most interesting one had uh, Michael Scotto covering it there. Sean Marks, when discussing LaMarcus Aldrich and his return to the team, quote, I tried to talk him out of it. Yeah. I said, you don't need this. Why would you come back? I think it was important to see his conviction, and it's not uh, it's not a conviction made without really doing due diligence. There, there's a lot more beyond that quote uh, that was kind of contextualized this there. But the LMA piece is not something you can gloss over given the way his NBA career we thought had ended last year. Easily the most interesting part of the press conference, I thought, um, on a player level, you know, and this includes the extensions because we talked about yesterday how we thought those are foregone conclusions to the big three uh, and yada, yada, yada. The, the Aldridge thing, that was the part that I found the most interesting and honest of the, not like the whole thing wasn't honest, it was all honest, but this was the most specific around a specific player mm-hmm. where it just isn't platitudes and, you know, saying nice things about a guy and whatever. This was really pretty interesting about how Aldridge had wanted to come back and play and, and Mark's said that he basically, you know, like you just said, he he said point blank, like, why do you want to do this? It's a health concern. You had a health concern last year. Not that we don't want you back, basically, but, like, is it really worth it? Is it yeah. is this really, is this actually really what you want? And he says how he wanted to see the conviction on Aldridge to make sure, almost like, hey, is this really what you want? Or are you just kind of, is this like, you're just used to playing basketball maybe, or this is just, it feels like what you wanted, but there's still some hesitancy and asking, they sort of get that conviction from him. That's just not really what you hear all the time from executives. And to hear about that, that thing at a conversational level of what happened between him and Aldridge, uh, I find it to be really interesting. And the process that went into Aldridge ultimately saying that I'm going to come back and I'm going to be a net. And so yeah, I, you know, there's clearly no, at least right now, question about the health piece of it, that no one seems all that concerned with it. But whenever there is a health scare, especially a health scare around your heart, which happens, I don't know, I don't know about you, buddy, but it's, hearts are pretty important. It's got to be at least one um, of the top three most important things you got going yeah, on. Yeah, one right? of, yeah, I couldn't do without, <laughs> I couldn't do without one of my hearts. <laughs> it goes, it goes um, my left foot, my heart, and then my elbow. That's usually how yeah. I, that, that's what I tell the doctor anyway, where to check first. So, yeah, so I, I just I just thought that was really, you know, refreshing in a way that you don't often hear from these guys because this was more about a life decision than it was a basketball decision. And it's clear that they're all on the same page for it, but I it's interesting to see that Marks wanted to talk to him on a life level before they even kind of got into the basketball piece because um, that clearly was the first thing that was on his mind, at least. Well, and uh, LMA was cleared by his own medical doctors then he came in that you know they said cleared also by the nets doctors who are very highly regarded around the league um you know lma was quoted as saying unfinished business that that's why he wanted to come back so to your point though about sean marks man like i know that we we talk about the, the culture piece and appeasing the stars and all these things but i think that this is probably the example of there's there's a real truth to what Sean Marks says and how the organization has built themselves underneath him, that he genuinely wants to make sure that he's caring for the for the player first, for the individual first. And 
You know, LMA is not going to be an insignificant piece to what the Nets want to accomplish this year. So it's not like, you know, Sean Marks can just stand there and go, eh, either way. I mean, he's right. going to represent, we think, uh, you know, a really important rotational player. What is role? That's all going to flesh out over the course of the season. But it'd be super easy to get excited that a player wants to come back and say, great, happy to have you, and then see how it plays out. I think it's twofold, being very caring and thoughtful around the individual. And also, I, and I, I mean this in the best way possible, I don't want to bring back a player that's going to suffer something possibly, you know, very much life-threatening as it was last year under my watch. I can't afford to have that happen. I didn't know when we brought him in last year. He didn't know. Now we're aware of it. So if I don't get full clearance from all angles, I I can't feel comfortable bringing him back into this roster and putting him out there on the court. Yeah, and I think that thoughtfulness and that, you know, sort of human level instinct around, at least that's what he's saying, is the same, that sort of same conversation that Marks led on that he and Aldridge had is the same reason that I think when we heard Aldridge was going to come back, that we were very confident that he was going to be a net, right? I think there's all the same, these are all part of the same conversation that the second we heard that LaMarcus Aldridge a few weeks ago or months ago, whatever, I can't remember the timeline, um, that he said, when we saw the first note that said LaMarcus Aldridge has been cleared to play basketball, that to me, that, that initial report might as well have said LaMarcus Aldridge is cleared to play basketball and he's re-signing with the Nets. <laughs> like it might as well, they <laughs> right. might as well have well finished it off because we, you and I were both so confident that that was going to be the case because of all the conversations that we had heard that had happened right at the, at the moment of the, of the injury or the incident uh, with his heart that it was, there was so much care at least outwardly. And now you can tell that it was not just, you know, for the media's point of view, it was, it was really that this was the honest, you know, to God's truth of what was happening with the conversations was that these guys were just on the same page of, Hey man, life first, family first, basketball is way behind those other things. And, you know, we know you were only here for a short period of time. We are here from you. Basketball is secondary. And when you you say all those things, when it happens and then you're ready to come back, like where, where else would you go? It's like, we talked yesterday about where else would Kyrie and James Hard go? Not for lack of options, but for, Lack of, there's no better situation. This is sort of falls into the same category for me. Is there any, I mean, just to step outside of this a bit, there's a lot of other player stuff to get to, but can you see any downside from like, from a sports organization standpoint of not having this be your model? Like, shouldn't the individual first be the way that you approach this? Because I just find it hard. What's the lack of benefit here of not being concerned for the individual and how the you know whatever in, in any set of circumstances or just creating an environment where where people feel welcomed and they want to be a part of it? It just seems like it would cultivate a a mentality and approach of like LMA said, unfinished business. I want to be a part of this thing. The way so many players have talked about their time in Brooklyn, I just don't know where the short <laughs> where's the short end of this stick of being thoughtful around human beings. I, I don't want to get too you know. No, but I think I think actually the answer is pretty simple. It's that most people would say that that is first for them and they in their minds believe it to be the case. And then there's another group that actually it is first and you can just tell by interacting with them. Right. So like I think that like most people think that they're people first and they will always say, oh, we're all about the people first. But then they'll do other little things that wouldn't necessarily back it up. Like they don't make the extra phone call to see how you're doing or they don't you know, send the gift basket. I'm not saying that these are like actual real human things to do. It's just signs that you are thinking about them. Right. right. You text them a lot. You call them a lot and say, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help? There's a group of people that just won't do those things as part of their as part of their sort of regiment around being a human being. And so it just it ends up being that your actions speak louder than words. Every organization would say we put the player first and we put their well-being first. And they probably all really mean it. And then there's another group of people that actually really 
all their actions say, hey, this is actually what we're about, right? <laughs> like, and so, and that is what tells the rest of the story. So I think it's really, it's difficult because you might have to take a look inward on yourself and say, hey, man, I, maybe I don't interact with people the same way that I think I do, mm-hmm. right? Because I think I'm a people person, but maybe there's a lot of evidence out there that's saying that I'm not. Yeah. Um, in, in this case, I think with Marks and Nash and guys like this, it's very clear just by the way people have interacted with them over the years that they do do this as just part of their core being and that shines through. So everyone can say it. Everyone that can be, that can be the first thing on the header of your, of your company policy is that we put the player first or we put the people first. (laughs) I'm super caring. Trust me. Oh yeah. Believe me. Like, trust me. I'm so caring. I tell this 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 to my daughter, like, believe me. And then whatever they say after that, yeah, if you say believe me, you can probably make sure that we don't believe you. I think that's a pretty uh, <laughs> like I think that's a it's a it's what's called a tell. Okay, we're gonna get into a lot more of this on the player level. Uh, first, gotta talk to you about our friends over at Directv Stream. This probably sounds familiar to you. You got a bunch of different devices. One you're watching games on. Some of you're streaming shows. Other ones you're watching highlights. Some you know, it's your phone. It's an iPad. It's a TV. A smart TV. It's all over the place. You don't know where to go when you want to get something specific. Don't worry, DirecTV Stream has solved this for you. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, shows, all in one place. You're not juggling remotes anymore. You don't need to buy another device. The best part, no annual contracts. You're not going to get locked in locked in long-term. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. And I've had this problem before with fantasy basketball. Uh, sometimes I'm on, on the good end of this, but if you've been playing fantasy basketball for a long time, you know that if you get into a league where you just have the players with the most stream games that week, that you uh, are probably going to win. And if you did not get the most stream games in there in the given week, you're probably going to lose. It's been a way that fantasy basketball in some ways has been broken for a long time. Sleeper has solved all of this. It's a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball, and it's on Sleeper, and it's called Game Pick. And Game Pick owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score. You get an even number of games against all opponents. Your days of losing because your opponents simply had more scheduled games to play that week or over. Maybe they had a little more time that week to set their lineups in a certain way so that you knew you were dust even before you started. That's not going to happen to you on Sleeper. In Sleeper game picks, you're going to get player matchups, home versus away, opponents' defensive ranking, all the stuff that you need to make the decision before the week starts. Adds up the more strategy, the less busy work. Uh, whether you're playing redraft, keeper, or dynasty, sleeper game picks has you covered. They crack the fantasy basketball code. You have to try these guys out. Sleeper is a one-of-a-kind fantasy basketball experience with game pick. You download the Sleeper app. You start a games pick league now. Head on over, Sleeper app, games pick mode. You won't regret it. Days of grinding out that fantasy basketball season long are over. Download the Sleeper app today. All right. So in addition to pantomiming uh, during the ad reads, in case you're watching on YouTube, I feel like that's adding to it. I think it's helping the product for sure. I don't know. I, I touch base with you if it's distracting at all. But um, the the other stuff here, th- there's Claxton stuff, there, there's Patty Mill stuff, and it's interesting and I want to get to it. But I think the, <laughs> the biggest thing for Doug Norrie on this one came when uh, there was a question asked of Steve Nash. Uh, around where they would, how they would utilize Kevin Durant. Now you've brought in the likes of uh, LMA, obviously, as we mentioned back now. You've you've brought in other additional bigs. You have Blake Griffin back there. Would you consider using him at the three? W- would you play him at the five sometimes? What does it look like? And Steve Nash comes back with, 
I, I thought that he, he obviously listens to the show because he came back with the quintessential Doug Norrie response of, that's kind of hard. I don't even really associate positions in the way the NBA has played today. And then he went to some greater detail, but I think it really feeds into what we talked about a lot in the podcast of like, you bring in all this talent so that you can just put out the best five and create the best matchups. And you're really not concerned about who plays where identifying, you know, quote, specific roles for these guys. Oh, I nearly passed out when he said this. I like, <laughs> from joy. I it was so refreshing to hear someone say this, and because we've been beating this drum for so long about the positions and how Paul people, Millsap. Sorry, I, I completely spaced on his name when I was listening to Bigs. I apologize. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, no. So I, I when he when Nash mentioned this, I actually was like, I was taking notes during the pressure, but this is the only one I put an exclamation point next to, so you knew it was important. Uh, and it was mostly just because I got proven right, so whatever else <laughs> was going to go on. Because um, we've been talking about the position piece and how it's overrated in, yep. in in the current NBA. If you want, if you're trying to slot guys into different positions, it's a fool's errand because you're going to realize that in the current NBA, just the overlap of some of these guys' skills, whether they're labeled a center or a power forward or a small forward, when the uh, when it really gets down to brass tacks, a lot of these guys that are labeled this way can't play together, and then you just end up becoming different positions, and there's it kind of ends up being no point in in actually labeling them this way. It was so refreshing to hear Nash say this because it's just true. It just confirms what we already knew about these right. about how that they're playing is. An NBA team does not look and say, you're starting center tonight. You're starting point guard. You know, like this is not what they're going to do. They say, we have a system. These You five are going to operate in the system together in this way. This, a different set of five is going to operate a little differently. It's not going to be, it's, you know, there's still, James Harden is still going to bring the ball up the court because he's the point guard. You know, and DeAndre Jordan, when he was on the team, is not going to, you know, dribble the ball up because he is a center. Some of these things are are, are kind of clear, but for the most part, this is just the way the modern NBA has gone, and he broke it down and said there's centers and there's perimeter players. Like that's 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 how he broke. It. Those are the new as as Steve Nash sees it. It seems like and the Nets see it. These are the positions on the basketball court: centers, perimeter guys, and that, and then he, and he's like sometimes you'll have five perimeter guys, and sometimes you'll have four perimeter guys in a center. That's how that's how he labeled his lineups. I I my eyes rolled into the back of the head and I passed out with with joy uh, when he said it because I said well my my mission here is done. Um, we see eye to eye on this. Uh, I'm not sure I need to take another podcast rep after this because I was just so pumped to hear another coach say the thing that we've been saying for, frankly, for years now. Yeah, and the kind of thing you run on loop as you go to bed at night, right? Just sweet oh, dreams for, for yours truly. And, and you know, and the thing about the, the perimeter player piece of it is, is why in positionless basketball, because then you have pure shooters from the outside, guys that are going to be able to slash, guys that are going to be able to come out to the top of the key and facilitate other aspects of the offense, and and that's really what you want. You always kind of need the body that's going to get the rebounds for you and, and handle some of that muscle work in some capacity, and then everything else is about opportunities and creating spacing, and that's really what he indicated there. Off of that, um, the other thing as we get back into the, the tweet streets was Nicholas Claxton. We've talked about him and, and what it looks like and what his role is going to be. Uh, Christian Winfield had this covered on Twitter in speaking about Nicholas Claxton as having, quote, a prominent role on the Nets this season. Uh, and Winfield went on to say he asked because the Nets added four players at that position with Griffin, LMA, Paul Millsap, and obviously drafting Dayron Sharp. We, we've covered a little bit that sense of, um, you know, Dayron Sharp and what the expectations are for him in this season. But... You know, when Nash says that he has, uh, I'm trying to make sure I get this the, the quote right, a unique profile, he they prefer him on the defensive end, he's very obviously versatile in that regard. 
do you we say about things we're putting stock in from the press conference? Can we put at least can we at least inch in the direction of putting some stock into that statement as in the Nets, Steve Nash still do feel like there is a role for Nick Claxton, a, a permanent role, not one that's going to be fluid or not one that needs to be tweaked or worked into, that, that they they identify something that he'll do on a consistent basis night in, night out. So this one actually goes back to the actions versus words uh, category for me. Uh, in a Signing way all the other maybe some, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that some Nets, are, that, that some Nets fans aren't going to hear. You're not going to say in a press conference, "Hey, not for nothing, he's going to be buried this year." Like you would never say that in the first in the first press conference because it would be um, it would just be malpractice. Like no no one would actually say it. Even the worst the worst media person would not would not say something like that. But I we've doubt seen, it. <laughs> but we've seen a situation where they were very short on bigs, and he did not play a lot. Right. We've been through this scenario once. And so if you're going to say, you know, actions versus words, the actions up until this point have said that there isn't really a prominent role for him, at least the what he was bringing last season. We were in the playoffs last year. He was not playing a ton near the end. Um, he did have a lot decent amount of regular season minutes ish, but not mm-hmm. tons. And that was when after Aldridge was gone, DJ was starting to be buried and like they had Blake there and really not much else in the way of size. And even that would have been that would have been the prime situation to get Claxton a lot of minutes, right? And he didn't really play. And so now you bring Aldridge back and you add Millsap, you add James Johnson. I know he's not a center, but he's got some versatility that could make you, you can kind of squint and see it with a small ball five kind of guy. And so yes, Steve Nash says Nick Claxton will have a prominent role. I just this is what I have to see. I like this the him saying this really doesn't move the needle for me at all off of what we talked about a few episodes ago, which was I do not see a clear path for him playing a ton this season short of having made significant off season strides, which I hope he did. Like he's still, there's still a growth curve here, but this one, like this one is not, didn't mean much to me because this, this quote doesn't mean anything until I actually see it. And I still have a lot of concerns that we won't see it. Yeah, and I think the problem is, too, when you think about the rest of the team, I mean, it's very rare that you're going to say, well, because you play with Kevin Durant, you know, there's a detriment to that. And that's that's not, that's not what I'm going to illustrate here. But the problem is when you're kind of a rail-thin, slightly undersized five, if we're talking about the one role that does exist in position on the court, the problem for Nick Claxton is, you don't function necessarily so great with Kevin Durant. Like you can't flip the script and say, well, KD go, go work out of the five and I'll move into another perimeter role. Cause you don't have the perimeter shooting. Maybe that's something that develops for him. And that's, I think the difference with a Millsap with an LMA, it's the offensive skill set. That's what affords you to stay position versatile. The, the benefit of Nick Claxton, what he can do on the defensive end. That's great. And I think situationally he can carve out that kind of role for himself, but on a, on a game to game basis, Basis, it's going to be really hard to say, yeah, you have a minute share on the offensive end because we have the firepower we need and you don't bring something to the table, you know, specifically when it comes to creating your own shot, when it comes to getting in down into the paint and setting up the low block, when it comes to working the pick and roll, right? Even even the facilitation aspect of his game, if he could work on that, if that starts to show, then that makes a difference too. I love what he is, We, you know. The Locked On Nets podcast loves what Nick Claxton is and also fully understands that what he is cannot function right now at the highest possible level the Nets need him to be. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I I think that we totally agree on that. 
we spent like half a podcast talking about what we think his role is going to be. There's no situation where the Nets are going to come out and say he's the 16th man or whatever on the yeah. bench. And he and he's not, by the way. So I, I'm not trying to say that he isn't. I think they're going to try to play him minutes. They really need to figure out what they have with him heading into a season where you know he's going to be up for he's going to be up for a contract at some point here. So um, they do need to sort of figure out what they have. Um, it's just that saying that he it's the really the word prominent when he says yeah. he's going to have a prominent role. That's the one that's really hard for me to envision simply because we have lots of evidence that say that is not what they want to do with him because, again, they had the chance and didn't do it. And so, and that was when there was fewer guys that played his position. There was nothing in the way to stop you from doing it. Exactly. 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 And so, um, that's the only reason. It's like, it's really, it's really having to hear the word prominent and say, I just don't see how. That's going to be. I, I know this is not a guy we're going to talk about because we have a couple other guys to talk about. I did want to make mention of one other guy that Nash, and just in passing here, because mm-hmm. they didn't really spend a lot of time on it. I thought it was interesting that he did um, make mention of Joe Harris's sort of cold streak at the end of the year. Uh, someone brought up something about Joe Harris, and he. Well, that was in the rotation gave, piece of saying Kevin move Kevin Durant down and then Joe Harris off the bench. Yeah. And I, I, it almost seemed like Nash went out of his way to talk about Joe Harris as opposed to gloss over it and specifically focus on Kevin Durant's versatility. Yep, and he mentioned how you know he gave him fifty, not five. He gave him probably five or six different compliments first about how tough he was and how many minutes he played and how versatile he was during the season, and then did throw in at the end the thing that Nets fans have talked a lot about, which is uh, that he went cold at the end of the season. And he and I'm quoting Nash here. Nash said the word cold. Um, he he described Joe Harris's shooting. Uh, down the playoff stretch. I thought that was interesting to also said that he's um, not worried about him either. Like he also was oh, 100%, you know, so, 100%. Yeah. And I think that it was actually re- sort of refreshing to hear like the understanding that yeah, hey, this happened. Mm. It's not something we're worried about. Again, even if they were worried about it, they wouldn't say it. But I really actually don't think they're worried about it because just how well he played for the whole season, I don't think really the fact any... that they, The fact that he addressed it directly makes you think they're not worried about it, right? Like, yeah, yes, good he call. had a cold streak, but guess what? He's Joe Harris, and we're, and we're not worried about that extending over because of everything that happened and how we had to almost overuse him and overtax him a bit, unlike Nicholas Claxton, where you are being tepid about it because you feel like we're still trying to develop this guy along. Joe Harris knows what he is, and you have confidence in him doing that. That's a perfect. That's a perfect way to put it. The fact that they they attacked it head on would mean that they, you know, there's not something that there's no there's no underlying current that's saying they want to go a different direction. You're right because you would Kai, at that point completely kill him with kindness and never really mention it. Mentioning it, uh, great call by you, buddy. Yeah, you got it. So uh, you you uh, you figured out the uh, the the messaging perfectly around the Nash thing. All right, a few other things to break down here from Marks and Nash. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at Built Bar. I told you this yesterday. The box, the Built Bar box came. Our good friends like to send us one of these every month, a little variety pack uh, to get our mitts on. The whole family goes running for it. Even my sister was around the other day. She couldn't believe, absolutely could not believe the stats on the protein bar here from Built Bar that we're going to get to in a second. Once she saw the flavors and once she tasted it, coconut, raspberry, salted caramel, strawberry. These are just some of the flavors you're going to get your hands on. When you get the very best protein bar on the market in Built Bar, she turned the bar over, read those stats, 17 to 18 grams of protein. She said, that's pretty good. Calories, 130 to 180. Eyebrows go up. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar. Here's where she stopped believing it. Only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Built Bar backs it all up. Great tasting protein bar with all the stuff that you want to read on the back of the old envelope there. It's just the very best protein bar on the market. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked on for 15% off at built.com. We're back and better than ever. 
That's what betonline.ag wants you to know. As all eyes are on the gridiron, as the teams get back on and start another football season, both professionally and at the collegiate level. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Right now, they have the new updated site and interface with even more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. You can head over to the website on your laptop or that mobile device called a phone, and you can sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100 from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. The big one for I don't know I was gonna say big one, but just a fun one for me was the as the conversation turned to a couple of things. Steve Nash was asked about losing a glue guy like uh, Jeff Green, losing a glue guy like DeAndre Jordan. These are guys that that are good locker room players. They galvanize players on the court. They kind of get everybody charged up and I think focused, especially when they were dealing with some of the injuries to the superstars. And they mentioned who might step into that role. And Patty Mills' name got brought up there, and then the conversation extended beyond as to what his role could be uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. When you when you think about Patty Mills, as uh, Matt Brooks had this covered, saying Steve Nash can see Patty Mills making an impact on and off the ball, attacking from, quote, the second side when playing with other ball handlers, and then went on to quote him as well, saying it won't necessarily always look like Australia out there. That's uh, a <laughs> referencing... Patty Mills kind of saying he was attracted in free agency coming over after his big performance in uh, for, for the professional team, Australia, the national team, and saying like, yeah, I want to do a bit more of that. Steve Nash cooled it off a little with all of the, the talented players that are going to be around Patty Mills that can score. But we said at the time of the signing, like this felt like the home run hit of the offseason, maybe specifically for how he can come in and join the Brooklyn Nets team. But I also do think that, like, Patty Mills off ball, when you look at his stats and what his three-point shooting numbers are, and if you put him in a spot where he doesn't have to create any of his own looks, I just, he's a veteran, he's far closer to the end than the beginning, and also you may get the best version you've seen from him, if not in his career, in the last decade. Oh, yeah. Matt Brooks, uh, you mentioned uh, who put it out there with a tweet. Uh, he did a great series of videos. I think they're going to end up going. They were on his Patreon. They're going to end up going up for free on YouTube, I believe. Um, it's really worth it. Go over and check out what he did on Patty Mills. He did a bunch of these, like James Johnson Phenomenal. as well. This is like stuff that you're just not getting anywhere else. The deep dive on Patty Mills was fascinating um, just from what he is able going to be able to bring uh, on the court, both on ball and off ball. A lot more off ball for the Nets, uh, probably more than anything else. But um, he was brought in for a very specific reason. I mean, Nash clearly says that he said the second side stuff. That's because there's going to be so much, there's typically so much attention paid to the the main primary guys in the, in the big three from a defensive standpoint. The guys like, this is why Joe Harris shot so well during the season too. It's not, he's a great shooter, but the looks are just unlike anything you're going to get in the rest of the NBA. Like the, the defensive. Yeah, they call them warmups. Oh, I mean, totally. <laughs> I, like the, the. The fact that these guys draw so much defensive attention just really does make it catch and shoot stuff like uh, like fish in a barrel for some of these guys. Patty Mills is going to fall right into this category. He's a great three point shooter. They already recognize what he's be able to bring. Uh, unlike Joe Harris, he does have more ball handling capabilities, so he's going to be able to put it on the deck um, if he needs to. That's really not totally still in his bag to get to the rim, but it's it doesn't matter because he still can create a little bit enough off the dribble in a way that Harris can't. So there's a this extra piece of of sort of lethal weapon stuff that they're going to be able to get 
on a weak side, specifically if they're going to, if, if you try to load up defensively on one side, like weak side stuff from him is going to be unbelievable. Um, so yeah, it's just a great signing. I, this is why the rest of the NBA sort of like threw their hands up when the Nets signed him because they, they you kind of saw this, like they got Patty Mills. What? Like that was kind of the reaction yeah. from a lot of uh, basketball and analytics people. Cause they said, this really is the perfect compliment. The fact that they were able to figure out the money to be able to bring him in really sort of was cheat code stuff because his specific skill set works so well with what these guys do. And and by the way, everyone works well with what these guys do, but some guys work even better and Mills follows into that category from a role player standpoint. So it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting to see what he's able to bring definitely off the bench, but yeah, they already kind of see what the role is going to be for him. Yeah. And that's why it makes it really great. And you wonder how he eat into this positionless basketball, where his minutes are going to come a lot of different opportunities for the Brooklyn Nets to utilize them. I, I just thought that that was, <laughs> it was funny because when you talk about versatility and how you want to utilize a player, I just, it was worth mentioning. I, this is like a footnote takeaway from the press conference was Steve Nash mentioned, like he was taken 50th overall in, in the NBA draft when he started his career. And it's just that kind of piece, whether we're talking about Nicholas Claxton, Patty Mills, like role player guys, we've, we've always talked about having the superstar talent, but it just Steve Nash was a heck of a player. And, and the idea of finding value and finding guys that have the right mentality, like it almost resonated in my mind of, oh, like Steve Nash gets what the grind is too, in order to, in order to be the best version of yourself, to bring the best traits that you have, best skills that you have to the table. Like, so when you see a guy like Patty Mills, at, at the same position you played your career at, I think you can pretty easily identify how they can blossom in your system, how you're going to get the best out of them. And then, the, and then it's personality and trait and skills and all those other things. But it was just kind of a tip. It was almost like a tip of a cap to himself where he was like, you know, I was taking 50th. Right. See what I did, which I just thought was like just a fun, a fun little throwaway from Nash. And for the, and for years, I mean, this has been sort of like what the Nets have built their, their thing on is finding is getting more value than most people saw at the from the player ahead of time. I know Nash yeah. wasn't a net, but the idea that like, yeah, I mean, honestly, even hard, I, you can do almost any any example of this. Uh, I think everyone realized what Kevin Durant was going to be, but how many teams were a little bit scared by the Achilles, right? So yeah. if you go right down the line, like you know, scared about the, it's easy to forget now that we're two years away from this guy coming off the worst injury you can basically have as a basketball player. And maybe that did scare some teams off. Nets are be able to maybe not buy low, but will be one of the, the aggressor kind of guys. Maybe Kyrie's stock had dropped a little bit after the time in Boston around the teams that wanted him. And we've seen that he's able to play at a championship level. Like people, t- teams, not every team got into the James Harden sweepstakes. Maybe they yep. thought they wasn't going to be worth it. But, you know, some teams, if you can be believed that weren't going to pull the trigger because of certain guys, that looks incredibly silly now. Right. And right on down the line, Joe Harris, Cleveland cast off, right? Spencer Dinwiddie, Harris Liver. We talk, it's like literally every single guy that the Nets have gotten at some different and maybe a little lower version of their value. And then, and then by the time they leave the Nets, the value is raised. And so it's hard yeah. not to see that happen with going to happen with guys like Mills here, right? Look at Blake. Like, yeah. Like, the guy, like, like, <laughs> Nobody was bought I'm, any lower than Blake. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's every single guy. Cam Thomas drops in the draft. We don't know what he's going to be, but the returns already look like he should not have dropped that far. It's yeah. like if you just literally go down the entire list of guys and guys that they've traded, and maybe DJ's the one guy where this is like not the case, um, and he's on the Lakers now, that's an incredible track record for what you've gotten out of where 
the the collective viewed him at the time you got him. Not yes. now. It's easy to look back now and say, oh, of course, oh, who wouldn't sign Kevin Durant? Dude, that was not an industry standard move um, coming off that injury, right? The, this is the not- Blake Griffin piece is the easiest one, right? Like at the, at that time, it was right. like, who cares? Great, you picked him up off the scrap heap, and then. The, the, the conversation, like you said, you can't do this revisionist history. All of a sudden, everyone turned around and goes, well, Detroit deserves a little something more than that. You know, the Nets just get this guy for nothing. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. When this move was happening, everyone was like, good luck, buddy. Can this dude even jump anymore? You know, so right. to your point, it, it is about identifying the players that you think can have value for your team. And that is why the Patty Mills piece is like, and everyone who looked at him as being valuable right now, he is by far probably the highest profile guy that the Nets brought in relative to you know where they were in their career or how they were viewed. And then everyone goes combined with sending him to the Brooklyn Nets with those yep. ta- with that talent. This is going to elevate his game. So that, listen again, we we find ourselves doing this a lot, Doug. Just really congratulating not just the Nets, not just Sean Marks, but ourselves in a lot of ways because we call these shots sometimes. It's it's a uh, it's it's a trickle down effect. It's an umbrella that just falls over everything that covers the Brooklyn Nets basketball. Well, it's easier to cover them because you just assume, hey, whatever they figured out, it's probably going to end up being better, right? <laughs> like when your track record, when your track record, like doesn't need to prognosticate too much on it. When the track record's like this, you say, yeah, it's probably going to work out. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah, probably it'll, well. it'll probably be fine. All right, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, we'll be back again Friday. In the meantime. Make sure you're heading over to YouTube, Locked On Nets YouTube channel. Have really seen the subscriber numbers jump up. We're really trying to boost that as high as we can go, baby, because uh, we're going to be YouTubing all season long. It's the podcast going up, little visual aids as well. You get to see our mugs up there. Uh, so go on over, subscribe on YouTube. You'll make sure you'll know when every episode drops. The link will be in the show notes, but make sure you're subscribing over to that YouTube channel. We said it at the top. It's about thoughtfulness, about sending that text message, about letting people know you care, maybe providing a gift basket. Because gift baskets are amazing, Phyllis. Gift baskets are the essence of class and fanciness. They are the ultimate present a person can receive. Michael Scott. You're not going to sneak a Michael, Michael, Squat, Michael Scott quote <laughs> in on me, buddy. Uh, I knew where like that was going. I heard gift ba- I'll tell you right now, me. I heard gift baskets and I knew where it was going. That's all, that, that, that's all I needed. All right. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.